You're listening to the Just Giants Podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. This has the distance. It is good. you believe that? Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the football grump, and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. Hello, Grump. I'm still running my 40 time at the Combine, so as soon as I'm finished with it, I'll let you know what I score. So. Yeah. It's, it's important to take breaks along the way and um, you know, not to overstretch your legs or anything like that. I, I measure mine with a calendar. Stopwatch, there you so. go. Yeah. That's part of the reason why this has uh, been delayed for a whole day is uh, Cranky Fan had uh, some 40 time issues. And <laughs> yeah. only just now wrapping things up. Exactly. We would have had the show on... Yeah, on your normal Tuesday, but I was still in the, you know, yeah, <laughs> the, the second half of the race. Yeah. <laughs> From 20 to 40, that still yeah. had to happen. I'm so uh, brave. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, not all heroes wear capes. That's right. Or uniforms. Um, so uh, we're going to continue our spotlight episodes today, um, and I think a lot of people are going to be interested in this, not necessarily because of need, but just because they're two very interesting positions um, in a brand new offense, and that is wide receiver and tight end. And there's a lot of guys to cover in this and um, a lot of interesting skill sets. But before we can even get to that, there was kind of some some stuff that happened uh, that probably should be discussed, and that was press conferences with Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman. Um, most specifically is that Joe Judge um, failed to mention any particular player by name, as far as I understand it, and... Um, did not commit to anybody as a starting quarterback, and that kind of ruffled some feathers here and there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can look at that as a bad thing. You can look at that as a good thing. I look at it personally as a good thing. Why? It's not so much about Daniel Jones specifically. It's to me is because you are creating a market for our draft pick. By saying that or not saying who the starting quarterback is, you know, if nobody knows what way we're going to go and, you know, if you're saying right off the bat, Daniel Jones is our star- starter, that's it. You know, that means we are probably, you know, our draft pick is not going towards a quarterback. If he says, however, you know, everything's open competition, there may be some doubts in other GM's minds of. What are they doing with their draft pick? They may take a quarterback. We may need to trade with them and trade up to risk them taking Tua or taking Joe, you know, anybody. So I, I think it's actually a pretty genius move by Joe Judge not saying that because as we preach on this show over and over and over and over again, we don't take anything a GM, a coach, an owner says in the press with any grain of salt. So there's no reason to get bent about what was said. You know, think about the end game and what they're trying to do. We don't have total incompetence at coach who says something dumb. So this might be a smart guy making, you know, a smart tactical move. Yeah, I think that's more of it for me. Uh, I, I didn't think of it as a smart tactical move. That's a good point. Um, but again, my my biggest thing is very simple is I don't care what GMs and coaches say. I care about what they do. 
So if you know, in, until there's any doing things, I don't care. Until they go out and get you know Tom Brady in free agency or they draft Tua, I stand by our projected roster, and that is Alex Tanney is the backup to Daniel Jones. Period. That's all there is right now. We are we are not at this time big shoppers for the quarterback position. Um, I don't I don't give a shit about what any coach or GM says. Only what they do. So I I understand why fans are uneasy. I mean this is another regime change, but everybody needs to chill out a little bit. I I don't even know what's even to be uneasy about. I mean I think the fan base should have been more uneasy. When we had a completely incompetent head coach, and we don't know what was going to happen, are they going to keep him? Is he going to stay? Is Eli coming back next year, or is he not? Uh, you know, all these decisions had to be made. Is Gettleman staying, or is he not? Well, I mean, decisions have been made. Gettleman is staying. Shermer's out. New head coach, just getting started. A lot of the, you know nervousness for this fan base should kind of go away for now. Now it's just a matter of execution. So, uh, you know, do they think that Daniel Jones is their quarterback? Well, maybe. Well, we, we, you know, we don't know for sure yet. I mean, he's never, he's is, never seen him do anything. Yeah. There's, there's precedence for, you know, this side of thing happening. It just happened in Arizona where a new regime came in and said, you know, I want a different quarterback. So, um, We'll just have to wait and see, but I, I, I honestly think, again, I think it's more of uh, gamesmanship on their part to try to create a little confusion among the other teams. And, uh, you know, another thing I don't to kind of go along with what you said, we, we don't believe what GMs or coaches or owners say. We also don't believe Internet rumors of, well, league sources say, because the league sources say that the Giants are interested in getting Tom Brady were out there and – I laughed more than anything and moved on with my life. I mean, it's just there's no logical reason why we would try to get Tom Brady. So he did a good job in getting clicks for himself. Congratulations. But anybody who spent more than half a second thinking about that is wasting their time. Yeah. Um, again, I'm not, I'm not, I know that there's precedent in Arizona and stuff. I'm still not sold on it. Um, well, that's exactly what happened. The, the, the actual case of drafting a quarterback and then drafting one the next year and getting rid of it, that has happened. Whether it, yes. is, whether for it worked or didn't work is you know to be determined, but the precedent of making a switch that quickly because of a new coach has, has happened. Yeah. It's, it was, it's not ridiculous to think that you know, they are locked into this guy. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't really glean much else from the um, from the press conferences, though. I mean, I, I I get why people were concerned about that, but well, you, you just don't hear Dave Gettleman speak that much. They've never really heard Joe Judge speak. They just want to. They feel it's a lot of people just like the assurance that you know that they're not just hiding behind, you know, their offices or anything. They like the communication, and you know, fine if that means something to you. If you just like to hear the sound of their voice, then you had two good press conferences. If you actually want some substance or hints into the future, you're you're not going to get that. Sure, yeah, and um, you know, I, I 
Again, we we just got Dave Gettleman's press conference at the end of the year. I know it seems like it was a while ago, but it, nothing's really happened since then. Um, you know, we have a new coach. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, in terms of um, what he has to answer for or anything like that, I mean, he's there's not much for him to say. You know, right? So, it, it, for for the people who like to pile on Gettleman or the people who like to bend over backwards defending him. There's plenty there, I guess you can dissect. But since we're neither of those people, it was just a well, it's status oh, quo right now. I exactly, mean, it was like a Gettleman's, rehashing. Gettleman's job—he's got two main jobs: build the roster mm-hmm. and hire the coaching staff. Well, since the last time he spoke, he spoke. Did he speak during the the presser for Judge? So I mean, that still is definitely secondary to you know. Building a roster, mm-hmm. modifying the roster, you know, cuts, draft, trades, free agency, unre- you know, undrafted free agents being on there. That's his job. And his window of his job really happens from right after the Super Bowl to pretty much opening day. And then his job, for the most part, is done. So we have just started the first phase of the roster building where – they were cuts made. Yeah. And that might be something. The second thing we want to talk about really quickly before we start our spotlights was the cutting of two linebackers from this team. Yeah. Um, Kareem Martin and Alec Ogletree. So, you know, I know that Ogletree is, is, um, was, was a high priced guy, but he was never part of the long term solution here. So the, the people that thought that that was an awful trade and, and what a mess and, and whatever. Uh, because of the big contract and his inability to really, really play, um, to, to play at a high level, I guess I should say, or be a huge difference maker, was irrelevant. This was a, a team completely devoid of any talent whatsoever, especially at the linebacker position, and needed some immediate fixes. Kareem Martin, on the other hand, we've always speculated, was just, he was backup caliber when he was brought in. I mean, he was really just here to help install, it seems, uh, that James Betcher defense and come with some familiarity with it. I mean, he he started a few games, but for the most part, he wasn't offered a big contract to be a difference maker. And, and the contract that was offered to Ogletree was the one that he got from the Rams. It was not one issued by Dave Gettleman. These were guys that were necessary stopgap solutions, and now that they feel that their time is is up. Right, and we will talk next week when we do our spotlight about linebackers. We'll get into more of the what do they do now? But we felt we should at least comment on it now because that was, you know, when, when you see on the scroll on ESPN on a Saturday afternoon, Giants release two linebackers, it gets you a little like, oh, geez, what's going on? So, you know, it was important. I think we should, we did, we discussed it now, but we really get into the, you know, what's left on the rostered linebacking position and what can they do. We'll talk about that more next week. Yeah, it certainly makes next week's episode more interesting. So uh, that's cool. We can we can plug next next week's episode before we even start this one. Correct. <laughs> um, <laughs> but this one is um, is kind of interesting. Uh, the the dire need like we have at linebacker is not there for I would say either of these position groups. But we're going to start with wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, the Giants went out and gave 
threw some money at this position last year. And I know that they traded away Odell Beckham and whatever, but there was a huge investment here. I mean, there was a a middle draft pick spent here. Um, Sterling Shepard was offered a contract extension, and Golden Tate was given a four-year deal. Um, So that now is is a core. You've got a core of three guys that you expect to contribute. Um, With with Darius Slayton... um, Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard. You know, additionally, they still had um, Cody Latimer, and they had really hoped that, to get something out of Corey Coleman, who unfortunately got injured before the season season even started. So there was there was a concerted effort to make this position group uh, invested in last year, and um, the core of that has carried over to this year. Yeah, and I think, you know, again, when we're talking about a rebuild and we had to put everything under the umbrella with this team as a rebuild, Rome wasn't built in a day. Mm -hmm. And what I think they did in this particular year was they they put some building blocks together. You know, they got a core receiving crew. The problem is for right now and going forward is you got a bunch of twos and threes. Mm. We don't have a one yet. We don't have a guy that is your go-to stretch the, you know, stretch the defense kind of guy. The guy who's really going to be a major difference maker. One of those elite guys. We have a lot of guys that are steady. You know, Sterling Shepard is steady. Golden Tate, steady. Slayton, you know, we'll, we'll see. So Young wasn't force-fed into the into the into the rotation just in the very beginning. So we'll see about him, but he didn't come out of the box looking like a number one. And I doubt he'll ever will be number one. So for everybody who's so, you know, bitching and moaning about, well, these guys don't do, you know, you know, I don't see another Beckham in this group. Well, yeah, I don't think, I don't think these guys were brought in to be a one. I thought they were brought in. Now, Golden Tate's contract might, some people might say, well, that's a number one contract. That's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. He's not a number one. So they still need to get a number one. And what we'll talk about now is how do you get that number one? Well, yeah. So I'll, I'll pile on a little further. This is a nice little core to go on for a couple of years. But Tate is on the wrong side of 30. Um, Sterling Shepard, I, I think it's fair to start having some concerns about his injuries, um, especially head injuries. Sure. Um, and Darius Slayton could still be a one-year wonder. I mean, he he has impressed incredibly last year. I don't want to take a single thing away from him, but to rely on him as being, you know, the, well, the second coming of Victor Cruz is a little preemptive, I would say. Yeah, I think we're talking about two separate things. I think, you know, I think he Slayton to be part of that core, of that rotation of receivers. Oh, yeah. I'm very confident in him, but nothing told me even – from the flashes he showed last year that he could be a number one. Yeah, I think, so, I, think I, I would I agree with that. It's just number one. So I don't think it's even a question of flash in the pan. I think if he just keeps build upon what he did this year and, you know, who knows if Shepard in two years, you know, has to retire because of medical issues or if they decide in year four they're going to cut Golden Tate for cap reasons or something, which he's got a big number and it's, you know, a possibility down the line, you know, he will be someone that could kind of fill into that rotation of guys. But, and the question we have to kind of discuss now really is how much of a need in this offense 
is getting a number one receiver and what do we think the priority is for getting a number one receiver above some of the needs that we've already talked about or needs we will be talking about in the rest of these spotlight shows. Yeah, and and that that's kind of the discussion here is, you know, I I think what we have here is while the number one receiver is missing from this group, uh, what what we do have is enough talent to get by without having to deal with that this year. I think. Yeah, I think we yeah. Like I said, we have a bunch of twos on this roster. And you know something? Having a bunch of twos is saying you have a talented group of receivers. I think these guys, that's a nice complement of receivers that Daniel Jones has going into year two and year one of a new offense. An offense, what we don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know if it's going to be West Coasty. We don't know if it's going to be more, you know, more bombs away like the old days with the Giants? Is it going to be more run-heavy because of single? We, we don't know yet. We don't know until we actually start seeing it. So, you know, I'm not overly concerned at this point we don't have that guy just yet because also I think Daniel Jones has to grow more into his role as a quarterback too. As he develops more, he'll get more of whatever playbook, you know um, – Jason Garrett's going to give him too. So you're right. The urgency for a number one is not there at week one, but at some point it's going to need to be addressed. Yeah, absolutely. If for no other reason other than, you know, one of those three flaws or one or more of those three flaws that I listed, you know, could surface. If, if it's not dealt with this year, eventually Golden Tate is going to lose a step or Sterling Shepard's injury issues could come back to, to ruin his career, or Darius Slayton could just fizzle out instead of building upon what he's got. I mean, there's a number of reasons why. What we've seen from Jason Garrett in the past is a, is a, a liking for that number one receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well, well, going all the way back to, uh, what, what's his face? That's my quarterback, T- Terrell Owens. Well, let, let, let's, let's parse that a little bit by saying Jerry Jones Loves wow. to have a great number one – to have a name at quarterback. I mean did – how influential was Jason Garrett in decision-making to make the trade for um guy they have now, guy from uh, Oakland? Uh, Amari Cooper? Right. Yeah. We don't know. I, I think that's a fair assessment. But I mean yeah. I don't know. I mean I'm, I'm, I'm sure that Jones and Garrett were working together at some point, but we all know – that Jerry Jones likes stars Mm -hmm. and the biggest stars in this league next to quarterbacks are wide receivers. That's right. Good, good quarterbacks who talk a lot and are personalities. So I hear what you're saying about that, but let's see if, you know, I don't, the mayors don't strike me as the type that want to go out and get a Terrell Owens type on this team. In terms of talent, in terms of – I like I'm saying that I think that the total package of what Terrell Owens is is what attracted Jerry Jones to him. The talent, but – Oh, the, the sideshow? All, all the other stuff, all that other nonsense. Yeah, um, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean that's essentially what they just dumped and for those reasons. Um. But I, I guess the, the 
the big thing here is that when I look at the free agent group here, I don't see that guy. I mean, again, Amari Cooper is the one guy hitting free agency. You know, he can he can be that guy, but I think you know, coming off his rookie deal, he's looking for the big payday that he deserves. I don't think that this organization is in a spot to dish out a big payday to a number one receiver. I mean, if if they want to use a high draft pick for that, especially in a deep wide receiver class, it, we're talking about different investments here. Um, one, you're just investing in talent. The other, you're investing in talent and money. So um, when I look at this group, I think what you have is um, a group of guys that can come in and play depth because behind that group of three guys, Tate, Shepard, and Slayton is not much. Damari Scott, David Sills, Reggie White Jr., and Alex Bachman are all names you don't ever want to see on the the, the active roster. <laughs> so I want to watch them in August in yeah. training camp. <laughs> yeah, I mean they could be playing right now for New York Guardians. Um, <laughs> but what I, there's a couple guys on there, right? Free agent wise, I think Randall Cobb deserves a bit of a look. Formerly with Dallas before after Green Bay, so he has some connection with. Uh, Jason Garrett, obviously, but you know he also has return uh, experience returning kicks and and punts, which is something that's been sorely lacking on this roster since Dave Gettleman took over. He's tried for for what it's worth, but nobody has really flourished at that spot. Um, well, I guess the big question, Grump, is you know, do we feel it's such a need for that receiver that we're going to invest a first or even a second round pick on it? With all the other things that are, you know, needed on this team, and if and if we think that receiver is that important, is that some that make us more likely to trade down to, you know, get more assets and get you know a receiver with the first pick? Do do we think the receiver need is that big to put it at the priority at the top of the list? Well, no. However, I think that there's a scenario in which the Giants take a wide receiver in the first or second round. And that scenario is trading out of their spot at four and receiving picks. Because now you're not wasting picks and you're not wasting shots at a need. You're acquiring the best player available. And Mm -hmm. so, yes, I think there's a shot at that. I don't think that at four the Giants are going to go after the big-name guys in Jerry Judy or or Ruggs or Lamb or or Higgins, Chenault, Jefferson or Rager. I don't think any of those guys would be the best available guy at four either. Well, I think you can make a case for Judy, but I think that's that's the Jerry Reese approach at um, outside in. Yeah, that that outside in approach. You, but I, I think Judy, you can make a bit of a case for. Um, but I agree with you. I, I, in my opinion, he's yeah. That case would be made. I really want a receiver. Mm-hmm. And all things considered equal, I'm taking him. I don't think it's as much as the best player for because I think you know this is most of the draft Knicks have like a kind of a, a hierarchy of like their first five or six, and I don't know if he's that high on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, but but again, you know, if we're talking about Judy at eleven or something, I don't know. Yeah, I, just just picking a number out of the air. You know, now we're talking about shit. I mean, he wasn't a high priority, but if we can get Judy, that changes the whole landscape of the offense. Then, then yeah. Oh, if if we trade down. And yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. 
So right, right, right. yeah, w- with our current picks where we are, I I don't see them using a, a one or a two at a wide receiver. I don't. Yeah, I don't either. I think it's something. I think it's a when the time is right to really go after a wide receiver, we will. I think there's you know a enough other holes that need to be filled and the opportunity to get you know game changers at positions they really need right now at the top of the draft that this can wait maybe a year or so before they make that a more of a priority. Yeah. Um, so again, the guys I'm kind of looking at as a, from a free agent standpoint are just backup to what we've already got because there's no depth. Randall Cobb, you know, is sort of backing up the slot and special teams. Demarcus Robinson, who you have some experience with, you know, only 25 years old, big and tall, um, but he's not particularly dangerous in the open field or anything. He'd be, he'd be a good fourth option and probably wouldn't cost all that much. My fear with Demarcus Robinson is any moment he'll be back on the weed and get suspended. Yeah. I, To me, he's a red flag, and I, I want no part of it. We need to hit as close as possible to sure things, mm-hmm. and I don't uh, – that to me is too much of a risk. I, I think the real, the real um, free agent move that's going to happen here is not very exciting. I think they're just going to re-sign Corey Coleman. He looked like he was going to play a fairly significant role, especially on special teams. And as a, he was probably going to be the third wide receiver this year. But with you know the injury he sustained early on, and you know Darius Slayton simply just outperforming Cody Latimer, he was sort of forgotten. But he could probably be resigned for cheap on a one-year prove-it deal, and he would pair well. You know, he would fit in well. I think that's really – I think free agent-wise at this spot is going to be pretty low-key. But there will probably be some kind of move. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I agree. Something along in the margins, mm-hmm. nothing earth-shattering. I, I agree with that. Um, Draft-wise, you know, we, we always kind of – or we already kind of went over the Jerry Judy, Ruggs, Lamb Higgins, Chenault, Justin Jefferson, Rager. None of those guys are really likely – um, but there are some guys later on that I think can be added in the same way that, that Darius Slayton was as just – this is a deep wide receiver class. There's a lot of, lot of really good talent in this. It might be the deepest wide receiver class I've seen since we did this show. And it would be, be, be very interesting too if we weren't drafting fourth. If we were drafting 13th, it would be very, very interesting which way we go and if – wide receiver becomes more of a pressing priority. But I think we're just kind of in a bad year for us to be drafting so high that, you know, the fruit of the wide receiver class may not hit us necessarily, at least in the early rounds. Right, right. So those mid-round guys are what I'm really looking at here. And there's a couple from Florida, um, Van Jefferson and Tyree Cleveland, who – from a physical standpoint, could be identical twins. Okay. Um, let's start with uh, the guy who produced more in college, I guess, Van Jefferson. Yeah, let's start Let's start with Van Jefferson because I think Van Jefferson is a guy that is probably the most polished receiver of the four receivers Florida has coming out. I would agree. I'm sorry. That. I'm sorry this is becoming the Just, just uh, Gators podcast, but – Indulge me for a minute. <laughs> um, he was a transfer from Old Miss. He left Old Miss with all the 
uh, probation that was coming their way. The coach left and everything. He transferred to Florida, got a waiver uh, to play right away, and he played his senior season at Florida and uh, did a pretty good job. I mean, he was not the most flashy guy ever, but all of these Florida receivers ran really good routes, didn't drop anything, and were pretty decent uh, blockers downfield. That's kind of what the offense is. It predicates on having receivers that can block downfield because in an ideal situation, you know, they like to have a, 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 um, a quarterback who can run a little bit and one who with the RPO and one lots of little quick little bubble screens. So he was definitely the most polished one of the bunch. Um, if we're talking about uh, Tyree Cleveland, Tyree Cleveland was a five-star coming out of high school never really produced to what was anticipated with, with him. He had a miracle catch against Tennessee to win a game on a Hail Mary, which is what he'll go down in gear history for. But um, he kind of suffered a little bit from an offense that never really had a number one receiver. If you look at the uh, production of Florida's receivers, I'm sure none of you have listened to this, but uh, ball gets spread out quite a bit. Seven, eight, nine receivers catch a ball at a game. So you may see the leading receiver one week have five catches for 67 yards and a touchdown. And that same guy next week might catch one. So while you see these guys don't have the great numbers, a guy like Cleveland, you have to go behind the numbers. And you never really saw him develop into a guy who ran great routes or intricate routes. He was more of a fly pattern guy, you know. Big, if you look at him, he physically looks like the best receiver of the bunch. Just, you know, he's probably the probably had the best numbers in the combine of all the floor receivers coming out. But, you know, is he someone like a Demarcus Robinson who did more in the NFL than he did in college? I, I don't that remains to be seen. Um, unlike previous Florida receivers who came out in the you know, prior to the Dan Mullen administration who did not have very good position coaching. Florida has excellent uh, – Billy Gonzalez is an excellent wide receiver coach, and these guys have been coached up really well. So I don't know if how much untapped potential is in guys like him going forward. So um, Freddie Swain you mentioned, mm -hmm. a guy who played for four years, a, a key contributor for four years. But again, we're talking about the Giants having a bunch of twos and threes. Freddie Swain and Hammond – those are guys are twos in your core. They're very good twos, but they're not ones. So what is, how does that translate to the NFL? Probably a good two or three. Who knows? But there's nobody in this bunch I would say is a one in the NFL. I would agree with all that. So again, you know, working back to where the wide receiver core, as we as we call it, um, and its limitations. Golden Tate is on the wrong side of thirty. We'll be need we'll be needing some replacing um, fairly soon, and preferably with a young guy on a small contract. So the Van Jefferson Tyree Cleveland could fit in there, and and I would agree. Van Jefferson much more polished than Tyree Cleveland. I would say Cleveland is probably the better blocker um, in the ground game, and mm -hmm. that may seem like a not a big deal. Um, but in an offense that features Saquon Barkley, I think is a very big deal. Whether it be in the screen game or in the actual running game, it's it's an important thing that I can tell you NFL coaches care about. 
Um, Van Jefferson, I think, has a higher ceiling as a wide receiver, but again, still isn't... He doesn't have the breakaway speed you need or anything like that. He's just a good, polished route runner with good hands. On the other hand, I think Freddie Swain actually has more upside than people are giving him credit for. He might have benefited from being from, from getting light coverage because of the entirety of Florida's offense uh, from a receiver standpoint, including uh, the tight end, Pitts, is actually a pretty good receiver as well. Um, Kyle, Pitts is, Kyle Pitts is the best receiver for the bunch by far. Yeah. Also be the best pro prospect when he comes out. Well, I'm hoping he doesn't after next year, but let's be frank. He's coming out next year. So Right. But Freddie Swain actually has the most touchdowns. <laughs> Uh, you know, he he does he does pretty well, especially in in like the red zone with good route running, good hands, and good footwork. He's going to need some work, but I mean, he's your slot guy in the making. So if you're if you, worried about Shepard in the having to have his contract terminated in the near future due to injuries, he's the kind of guy that you can look at as a late round draft pick that can come in and be something for this team. I mean, long-time uh, Giant fans can remember guys like Ike Hilliard and Stephen Baker. He's that type of receiver in a pro offense. He's not going to be the – he's not the number one, but he's a very steady and solid number two. Very good complement receiver. Mm-hmm. And actually put up a, a pretty impressive combine results. I, I could care I, – I care a lot less about combine numbers than everybody else. Um, but it's one of those things I check to see – Guys like this, where um, I have questions about their, you know, their ability at the next level. This is where they can kind of check a box. Guys I already know do did well in college. If they have a mediocre combine, they don't lose any stock for me. Mm-hmm. Um, looking outside of Florida, um, <laughs> why? Sorry. <laughs> well, I mean that that was the one school that just <laughs> happened to keep coming. There was a, a lot of receivers coming out for Florida, but yeah, we basically lost. Uh... I would say five of the top six receivers came out, and you know four of them have a legitimate chance to be in the NFL next year. So I get your point. Yeah, but but staying in the SEC, uh, Jawan Jennings from Tennessee is a guy who can probably develop into a steady number three as well, eventually replacing a Golden Tate type guy. Uh, at six three, two hundred five, he's big and strong with good, very good route running ability. Although he's not as fast as you would want, which is exactly what you kind of end up with with the number three. Um, and Courtney Davis from Texas A&M, who I think, I, I think didn't produce as expected because the offense isn't really tailored properly for him. And I would say the same about Juwan Jennings. I mean, yeah. Other than the other the one game he had three years ago against Florida, which Tennessee will hang their hat on forever, um, he was in a very bad offense. We had a bad quarterback. There, Jerry Guantanamo is, is awful, and he might have been the worst starting quarterback in the SEC last year. So it's hard to really see on tape what he really can do when you have an offense that you know sputters at the quarterback position. So, Yeah, yeah I don't think Courtney Davis, Davis has a bad quarterback. Um, not a particularly great one, but you know, I, I, it's just something about the offense, and you can kind of see it. Just doesn't look like the opportunities are ever really drawn up for him or his skill set. But at six one two hundred, he he plays a lot taller than that. You wouldn't think he's only six one, um, and he's got some good quickness to him. And most importantly, the way he runs through the middle of the fear the field is pretty fearlessly. Um, and when he gets the ball in his hands, he's 
he reminds me of of Beckham in that way where once the ball is in his hands, he's a different kind of runner. Um, mm-hmm. His problem was that the ball just didn't wind up in his hands all that often there. Um, so I think he's <laughs> a guy that because of his lowered college production and the fact that he didn't produce as he was expected uh, from a, a recruiting standpoint, he might just be a guy that you can take a, a late-round flyer on and can actually flourish in the NFL. And um, I guess I guess I'd be pretty remiss if I didn't um, also include KJ Hill from Ohio State. Um, just a very good route runner. I mean, he already looks like he can run routes against NFL DBs. Um, just very fluid. Comes from a good program with good coaching. Uh, he he looks ready to go. I I could see him being one of those guys who's not the biggest name like the Judy and Ruggs and Lamb, but all, all all the talent is there for him to flourish in the NFL as well, and he'll just kind of tumble because he's not those guys. Mm-hmm. Well, somebody's going to take a flyer on him and probably be rewarded for doing it. So, And one last guy I would keep a, a, an eye on as being – he might even be an undrafted free agent. As well as Freddie Swain, actually. I wouldn't be surprised if Freddie Swain wasn't drafted. Um, but Darnell Mooney from Tulane, watch out for him. That name might come up a little bit more. Um, a guy who's 5'11", but plays like he's 6'2". He's got great speed to him. He's just from a small school with, you know, a, a small school offense. <laughs> well, again, I guess, you know, in, in conclusion, talking about wide receivers for the Giants, it's like... War- what are we drafting for and what role are they going to fill? Do they feel like the the position is pretty steady with the all the twos and threes we have? So taking a late flyer, is it really worth it for them at this point? Or is it something where, you know, they they want to go for a, a you know, a, a one guy? I, I personally think that I think they think that the rotation is pretty solid, that I don't know if they're going to waste a draft pick later down the line. Someone's in a crowded role already. I I mean, I absolutely think that they'll spend a late-round pick because it's a fundamental thing of what draft picks are, especially in the later rounds. It's it's not the kind of thing where you look at your position group and you you say you don't need one of those. You Especially when you get towards the end there, you're not going to take a defensive tackle because that's who you need if the defensive tackle group sucks. This is a really deep wide receiver class, and some really quality guys will be available in the later rounds. Mm-hmm. It, it, they don't have to be a number one this year. They don't have to be a number three this year. They can develop into that. They could just be depth. You know, it, it really doesn't matter. Again, like we said, we've got only three guys that you would ever want to see on game day. That's not enough. So I could absolutely see a five or six being spent uh, on a wide receiver. I wouldn't be yeah, shocked yeah. at all. I'm not discounting it, but I'm just thinking it's it's not it's not something that they're like, yeah. worried about late at night, right? Yeah, now. worrying about the worrying about the depth of the receiver core, I think, is low on their list. And I think when you're drafting down there, that's realistically what that guy would be. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, there'll, there'll be a, a Victor Cruz pop out, but exceptions don't prove, prove rules. Uh, absolutely, so. yeah, couldn't say it better. Mm-hmm. More interestingly, is the tight end spot. And I think that's more interesting because it's going to be weird figuring out what Joe Judge, what Jason Garrett 
thinks and, and to a certain extent uh, Dave Gettleman thinks they have there. You know, when we current when we look at the current roster, there is Evan Ingram, former first round pick, Caden Smith, un, undrafted, but also picked up off waivers midway through the year. Rhett Ellison may even retire due to concussions. Garrett Dickerson and C.J. Conrad. Um, Evan Ingram, what are your thoughts? I think people throughout the year had this notion that he was on the outs with the organization, and I never really understood that. And I think that uh, you know now that um, we made the switch in, in coaching, and he's still here, tells me that may not necessarily be true. I think uh, I think that might have been one of the things that was a discussion point between Gettleman and Shermer, hmm. um, but that's kind of irrelevant now. He's still here, so I think that. Uh, he is still a very thought of as a very valuable tool in this um, offense now and the near future and medium future. Yeah, and and I think I think it's fair to be disappointed with Evan Ingram. You know, when you look at his production and what he's what he's actually done, you would not say is worth a first round draft pick. Well, I mean, let's, however, <laughs> let's let's parse that for a second and say, is it? The production has it been good because he's just not that good, or is it production because of dealing with injuries? Injuries happen. And- I would say it's more than that. Even I mean, injuries are certainly a part of it, but I think it's also the man just not being used to his skill set. I mean, when you look at what yeah. he did in college, he's stretching the field. He's challenging linebackers to run deep and and splitting between linebacker and safety. What we've seen from Pat Shermer is him doing three yard crossing routes and hoping that his speed from sideline to sideline will get him to the outside where he can take it up the sideline. While not a completely terrible concept, for it to be basically the only route that he runs is silly. It's it's certainly not taking advantage of why he was a first-round pick in the first place. He's incredibly fast, and he's really big, forcing him to be covered by linebackers, but too fast for them to, to deal with it. You know, making him run sideline to sideline allows people to just pass him off from left to right. It, it, it just it blows my mind that there were seemingly no route concepts drawn up for him to run vertically. And that's no fault of his. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's part of the reason why we have new coaching staff. <laughs> we <laughs> Sure. I mean, just not the assessment that was probably made by smarter people than us, you know, like guys like Gettleman saying, you know, I we're building this team and you're not using the pieces as, you know, intended, and that is causing a negative impact on the offense and winning games. So, we we will see now with the with a new offense whether it is square peg and round hole or just a broken peg that needs to be replaced. Yeah. And and when we look at Caden Smith, uh, you know, he he. Ended the year on a high note, but he's got a lot to prove. But it, he looks to be more that mold that we see from from Jason Garrett over the years, that Jason Witten type guy where as a receiver, he's got good hands. He can run a decent enough route, but he's not a receiving threat. He's more of a blocker. Um, right. And there has to be somebody else besides Caden Smith that's going to do that. Rhett Ellison doesn't really look like he's going to be part of the team going forward much further. Um 
But really, what what's interesting to me is how Joe Judge and how Jason Garrett view Evan Ingram because that is the integral spot. I mean, he's coming off of his rookie contract soon. A decision will need to be made if he's going to be a part of this team going forward. I still am in the mindset that they plan on extending him and they can do everything they can to keep him. I, I still, you know, it's almost a clean slate with him right now. It's you know, an we'll entirely how, clean slate because he's yeah. still not Gettleman's draft pick. That's true, but he's had an opportunity to move on from him, and he hasn't. Absolutely, yeah, I agree. I mean, with that. Get, get, I mean, you can say that Ingram won the power struggle between him and coaching staff. Yep. I mean, it, it wasn't a purely uh, Shermer versus Ingram, but it was Shermer versus the use of Ingram and and the. Uh, future expectations of what Ingram is, his future potential, and that future potential won out. So, you know, now that it's a clean slate and he's been giving, he's been giving a new offense to hopefully be maximized for what he can do, and to, and to prove it on the field, prove that he can stay healthy, or you know, prove his uh, you know production. Do you think the Giants can throw money in free agency at this position? Say it again. Do you think the Giants will or could throw money at this position in free agency? I think so. Um, I also think there's a name out there that's kind of interesting that, uh, you know, he's going to be available most likely this year. And that is, uh, in one word, future Hall of Famer um, Jason Witten. Wow. I didn't even write him down because I thought that was kind of silly. It's kind of silly. But, you know, again, what are, what is the goal of this year? I mean, is it implementing a whole new offense and offense and you know bringing in a guy that is still serviceable and knows this offense you know i don't think i don't want to see a redo of the james betcher plan where i bring in a whole bunch of guys because they know the offense and who are past their prime and not serviceable anymore but this may be a case where this is a position of of need and you know who knows how much he will cost but on a very short-term basis, bring him in. I think that's a, I think that's a possibility. I, I think it's it's slim to none, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> he only came out of retirement for a chance to to play with a contender that he really thought Dallas was going to be last year, which I don't think is a a silly notion. Oh. Um, in all seriousness, Dallas should have run away with the division last year, and they didn't. Um, but he also made the comment after this season that. If Dallas doesn't want me anymore, I still want to play. Yeah. Um, so, still wanting to play. He didn't say, I still want to play for a contender. He said he still wants to play. And I don't know what his market is right now. I mean, this is a guy he's... Well, he's, I can tell you I can tell you the analyst position doesn't want him back. <laughs> yeah, that's a safe bet. <laughs> but, I mean, you know... Does a contending team really want him? Is he of value to a contending team? I don't think so. But I think for you know the 2020 Giant offense and what they're trying to do, I think that's not a that's not a terrible pickup for him. I don't think it'll be that terribly expensive because I don't think there'll be that much of a market for him. It's not something we have to invest four years and eighty million dollars on. It's a relatively short term thing, but. I, I I I would not be surprised if he is in training camp for the Giants. I would be pretty shocked. Blake Jarwin, on the other hand, twenty six year old from Dallas, I wouldn't be surprised. 
um, because he's probably not going to cost that much money. He's a middle-of-the-road tight end, but he's young, and he offers something in, in both the run and pass game. And in addition to having that connection with Jason Garrett, I think that's more likely what uh, we'll see there because if you're investing in Evan Ingram and you need somebody else who can do a little bit of both instead of being more receiver than blocker, um, I think you kind of want somebody who is a little bit more middle of the road, well-rounded, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, how much they're going to invest in the skill set overall they, they're looking for kind of depends on that first thing you talked about with Evan Ingram. Absolutely. I mean, if they think Evan Ingram's their guy of the future, they're not shelling out big bucks for a number one tight end. They're going to be so. If they, if they, in the back of their mind, think you know we're probably moving on from Ingram after this year, maybe they will sell more shekels for him. Yeah, and and if they do think that moving on from Evan Ingram is is the right play, then I have to imagine that they would go after Austin Hooper because he is a good receiving threat and. Um, he he offers, I would say, at least at this time, more in the blocking game than Evan Ingram does. We we've seen Ingram get better over the years, but it's still not. It's never going to be something that he is more than just adequate at. Um, and quite frankly, do we really want him to do that? I mean, if his value on this roster and what he's going to get paid big bucks for if he stays is to be a weapon with his hands and you know catching the ball stretching defenses well I, th- I think you always want him to be able to do something yeah I mean again when it's icing on a cake I, I guess I your offense is still Saquon Barkley first and foremost in my opinion therefore everybody needs to be able to block well mm-hmm. that's kind of the way I look at it the only other guys I can really see them putting money to are are, are low cost guys like Nick Vanette, um, who's mostly an inline tight end, and Scott Simonson, who was recently released by the Giants, but I think that was only due to like weird like transaction reasons where he was he ended the year injured and needed to be waived or something in order to hit the open market. I, I don't know, but he didn't seem too worried that he would wind up anywhere other than New York next year. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what kind of market there is for Scott Simonson out there. Well, I mean, his, again, yeah, I don't think it's very high. It's just you know, right? His best value is no is well, I I would say knowing the Giants' offense, but that's not true. But knowing the building mm-hmm. and you know, and knowing the people. Yeah, he's he's worked with Daniel Jones. He's caught balls from him in practices more so maybe than games. So that kind of adds to his value more than just going somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Because what is he really on some other team? A oh, third, a third tight end or, you know, I, I would even say practice squad. Yeah. So, so more interesting, the draft here, uh, because okay. I think there is actually some level of a chance here. And we've got two guys from the sec that I had, good things to say about. And um, I guess I'll start with the the one team that doesn't threaten you even in the slightest, and that's Vanderbilt. But Jared Pinckney might be the best tight end in this class. And for some reason, it's not being talked about that way. Um, He's not really... 6'4 is a little bit small for for a tight end, but he's, he's pretty legit. As a receiver, he's got good speed, good route running. He's got excellent hands. 
Uh, and he's more than capable as a blocker. I think he's he's an excellent blocker. And, you know, he can be moved in line or out wide. And, um, you know, his stat line was less impressive because Vandy sucks. But, but you know, we talked about Vaughn, the running back for Vanderbilt, and mm-hmm. how well he did. Those rushing numbers wouldn't have looked half as pretty if it weren't for Pinckney. Yeah, there's a pretty terrible offensive line. Um not a good quarterback for Vanderbilt, so you're right. Uh, the other guy is Stefan Sil- Sullivan from LSU. Um, I don't think he's nearly as talented, but he can definitely be a number two tight end in, in any offense. I think everybody in the LSU team is going to get a little boost because of just of how awesome that well, – just how awesome that offense was. I mean they just – you know. It was showcased so much and just looked so dominating that, you know, the sum might be a little better than the parts, and that's to be determined in the NFL. But he is a guy that will benefit from that sum being so awesome this past year. I mean, he was not he was not one of the three or four featured guys in that offense last year. I mean, they had incredible, you know, wide receivers on that team. They had a quarterback who can make things happen. They had a really good running back who will be drafted most likely. Um, so, but you know, he'll get a look, uh, more of a look than he probably did before because of being around all that talent and the success of the the execution of that talent. Yeah, and you know, he he was kind of one of the unsung guys, I think, there of all the talent at LSU. But um, I think he contributed more into the running game than he did as a receiver. But I watched every play where he kind of ran routes, and he looks very fluid, and he's got sneaky good footwork. Um, he's not a freak athlete like you know, we're, like we're talking about, where he kind of will probably benefit more as being part of that group that was so awesome. But um, you know, I I really think that he has a skill set that can be developed to be an NFL talent, um, and you know, could even be found in later mid rounds, like fourth. So um, definitely somebody to keep an eye on. Um, the big one that everybody talks about tight end position is Cole Commit from Notre Dame, and uh, it's easy to see why. He he's he actually looks like Mark Bavaro, so I I would be <laughs> if you look at him he he looks like every Giants wet dream, um, every Giant fan's wet dream I guess you should say. But he's six <laughs> five and he's two hundred fifty pounds. He's built fully as an NFL player already, um, and not only that he runs very good routes. Out of every position, you know, in line, in in the backfield, and out wide, um, and uh, he's got good hands. I, you know, the the one thing with me though, when I look at him, that I don't think people are really saying is, for his size, I think he can contribute a little bit better as a blocker. Certainly, more technique thing than anything else, where he can he can make it happen with the right coach. But definitely something that that stood out to me. But he he looks. Not quite as athletic as Kyle Rudolph, formerly from Notre Dame, and not quite as good of a blocker as Jason Witten, Jason Witten, but he fits somewhere in between those two guys who are both pro bowlers. So, mm-hmm. yeah, all right. <laughs> I, I didn't see him play, so uh, I, I take your word on this one. So, yeah. I, I think he'll wind up going uh, somewhere a little bit too early for the Giants. But again, 
you know, it, it's the draft is funky. Guys fall for no reason. It's a deep wide receiver class, so there could be a run on wide receivers where a guy like Cole Komet just starts to tumble. You know, and again, we discussed this already. The idea that the Giants could trade down for a haul of picks, in which case, you know, it's not a waste to get a tight end that you think is a going to be a big part of your offense. Mm-hmm. You now have picks to spare. So worth mentioning. Okay. Well we'll keep an eye out for it for sure. And and next week is what? Just uh inside and outside linebackers? You wanna do just stick strictly with that linebacker spot? Uh, we could do linebackers and uh yeah, let's just stick with linebackers next week and then we can go into we'll start talking about the lines after that. So yeah. let's let's do that. Sure. And and that that one will probably warrant some heavy discussion as well because of the dumping of both Kareem Martin and Alec Ogletree, as we said earlier. So mm-hmm. for sure. So I, I actually previewed a bunch of these guys. So throughout the week, if you follow me on Twitter at football underscore grump, I'm gonna post a bunch of videos of all the guys that I looked at. Um but I'm definitely going to highlight the guys that I talked about on this episode. Uh, so follow me on Twitter at football underscore grump if you really, really like you know all this kind of stuff that I'm talking about here. I can you know it'll it'll back up a little bit of what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a good Twitter follower, guys. So especially this time of year where he does all his due diligence and stuff. So I would highly recommend it. And then when you're sick of him, mm-hmm. follow me at the Cranky Fan, where I am talking a lot going on this time of year. You know, we got uh, we have the draft coming up. Obviously, we're talking that we're talking the playoff run of the Tampa Bay Lightning, Florida Gator stuff as always. Uh, the horrible New York Knicks. Uh, maybe I'll get thrown out of the garden by James Dolan, like Spike Lee did. We'll see. Odds are fifty-fifty. Uh, if you're listening to this show, James Dolan, f you. So there you go. Wow. I never crank. thought I'd see the day where you defend Spike Lee. Well, not. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, it's it's mutually not mutually exclusive to not like somebody and not like someone else either. So screw them both. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of it for now. As always, this podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, iHeartRadio, uh, you know, etc. So. Be sure to give us a five-star rating on there and look out for next week's episode, which should be on time Tuesday morning when you're driving into work. All right. Sounds like a plan. All right, everyone. Go Giants. Go Giants. Go Giants.